0: Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life changing. And we hope to see you soon. Many of you know that <clears throat> our church was sent out by another church in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, the church is called Blueprint Church. And uh, my wife and I went down there to help build that church for several years. We went down there while it was in its first year. By God's grace, we got to be down there for two years. And as we were down there, the Lord allowed us to be a part of different ministries. I was over what they called missional communities, essentially, what we do as city groups. And I would lead a city group every week, and I would have people into my house. Down there, I was, I was able to fit about 50 to 60 people in my living room, so it was a different situation <laughs> than the current situation I'm in now. And every night, we would take prayer requests with all those people in the room, and it was a powerful moment hearing the prayers of the people. And one night, you know, if you've ever operated in a group of people, there's a point at which the group goes from, like, being surface level with one another and then going deep all of a sudden. And so we were operating with one another and we were getting to know each other. We were doing prayer requests. And then you get that person that says, can I be honest? You know that person? There's always that one person that like, if they don't break the ice, they smash the ice. She says, I know you see me and my husband, but you didn't know my other husband. Three years ago, my other husband passed away. This is my second husband, and we've been trying to have a baby for several months now, and it's crushing me. I don't feel like I can lift up my prayers. And She said, I know that we've been praying for, you know, our church was young. We've been praying for tests in school, and, but can you pray for my heart? Because I want this child desperately, and I just can't go another month knowing that God may not show up and I've got so much baggage from the past. Well, you know, when one person is honest, it it has an effect on the room. Vulnerability is infectious. And so all of a sudden this other woman said, well, to be honest, we're there too. We've been trying to have a baby for five years and we're so exhausted. And so our entire group came around them and laid hands on them. And we spent about 10 minutes just praying over them. Well, one of the sad things about being sent out from a church is that you just don't see people the same. You don't see them as much anymore. And if they're not on social media, they've basically vanished, right? Um, <clears throat> about two weeks ago, I got a chance to go back to that church. And we did a big celebration. It was their 10-year anniversary. Natasha and I have been gone for six years. And I had the opportunity to get up there and I was part of this panel discussion and I walked around and people were hugging me and I hadn't seen in years and there were kids that were three that are now nine and it's just crazy just seeing people. And all of a sudden, this little boy walks up to me. Gives me a hug. And I'm like, oh, who is this kid? (laughs) And I see the couple we prayed for and they go, That's them. And he was about four years old. But wait, there's more. <laughs> because that, that other couple, the couple with the woman that had her husband pass away, I walked outside and she had the little paper like this. And she was like... <laughs> <laughs> she said... I don't even remember the, I don't, I, honestly, I don't remember the baby's name. She said, James, these are your prayers. But wait, there's more. There was a woman who, her husband had kicked her out the house and she was living with her daughter And she would come to church and I would counsel her and she would just say, I don't know if my husband will ever let me live back there. I I think we're working through a divorce. When I left, they were working through a divorce. I walk in. She goes, James, James. She comes I said, oh man, how are things going? She goes, my husband and I are back together. And I was like, oh, that's so awesome. How's he doing? She goes, ask him. Because he was right there. And what the church is It's a place where people are walking in with burdens. Right next to you is someone bearing a great burden. There are decisions that people are trying to make. There are relationships people are trying to navigate through. There is pain from the past that people can't look beyond. In this room, next to you. And what God has designed this church and all churches to be as a place where we could bear one another's burdens through prayer. Because what God gave me the divine opportunity to do as a pastor is I get to hear all these dynamic prayers. I get to hear the weight that people are operating with. There is great power in intercession. in taking the burden of your brother or sister before the Lord our God and trusting God for their breakthrough. Trusting God. And what does the world tell you? The world tells you you're self-made. The world tells you you can do things on your own. The Bible says you are sheep. And no one ever rides sheep. No one said, man, I need to carry something. Let me put it on one of these sheep. Sheep aren't burden carriers. And so that is what God has designed for us. And right now, as a church, has anybody participated in this Unleashed 21 Day Fast? Anybody participated in that? Amen. What What we have been praying for is out of Matthew 9, 36 through 38. And in verse 38, it says, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors. We said that Greek word send out is the word ekbalo. It means to force out, to drive out, to labor amongst people and to carry their burdens. And that is what God is calling us to be as a church. That yes, you carry burdens, but none of us were meant to carry burdens alone. Intercessory prayer. It is this opportunity to join people as they work through the problems that they have. An intercessor, the word itself does not mean prayer. An intercessor is it's someone who brings two parties together. It is, in essence, a mediator, someone who comes between two. A, a, a word that's a simile is the word intersection. And so when you have an intersection, you have two opposite ways that finally come together. And when you are operating as an intercessor, you are wanting two things to collide. In essence, someone or something in your life is going the wrong way and you want God to get in the way. You are asking God to break up that situation or get in that situation. And you are taking in one hand that child that you are as a parent, you are saying, I'm going to grab this child's hand that's walking away from God, and I'm going to hold God's hand, and I'm going to trust God and bring that situation together as an intercessor. The reason why we intercede is because the picture of intercession is what Jesus did for us. Because we didn't choose God, God chose us that God got in our way and we were distracted by the world and God, he interceded, he intervened. And the Bible says Jesus in Romans and as well as Hebrews, it says he's, he lives to intercede for the brethren. And so Jesus is interceding for us now and we intercede for one another. Jesus this dynamic miracle worker, Jesus, this dynamic teacher. There was this point in Matthew where the disciples come around Jesus and they say, they don't say teach us how to teach or teach us how to perform miracles. They say, teach us how to pray because they knew where his power came from. They knew that's how the miracles were happening. They knew that's where the teaching was coming from his anointing did not come from his gifting, but from the presence and the power of God in his life. And so he would hide away and pray. And when he said, teach us how to pray, Jesus said, pray like this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is saying heaven does something a certain way and we go the wrong way. So God, get in the way and do your thing on earth. Intersect those that are going the wrong way. Intercession and intercessory prayer, it's so sad that if you Google intercessory prayer, only charismatic churches will come up. So it's like power comes from knowing the literal definitions of Bible terms on one side and power comes from being prostrate on another side. And that's why we don't see power in the church. Because if you only know the word, you'll get people smarter. And if you only pray, we'll be uninformed in our prayers. When we're together, we could change the world. Intercessory prayer. So first, before you think of interceding and before you think of prayer, this is an identity issue. Mm -hmm. Exodus chapter 19 says this, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be, oh, we love this. You'll be my treasured possession among all the peoples for all the earth is mine. Isn't it good to know you're God's treasured possession that God loves you, that's good. But then he gives us a word for our life and our identity. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests. What did the priests do? The priest would go before God and intercede for the people. What if we didn't look at the people on stage as the only priests? What if we were a kingdom of priests? That on your job, one of the things that you've been told is the greatness of you on your job will come from your gifting and your resume. The greatness, the transformation on your job will come from your intercession. You're a teacher, you want to see those kids change, you you go to the workshop. But while you before you after the workshop, get on your knees. You, You want to be great in art, you want to be a great actor, yes, you do all those things. But if you want to see the power of God go through your artistry, get on your knees. Your first vocation is a priest. You see, when you see that your first vocation and your first identity is a priest and being in the priesthood, the, 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 the reformed types would call this the priesthood of all believers. And we would say, now listen, it's, it's, that, that means that we're not just priests individually, we're a priesthood, like a neighborhood. We don't just have individual neighbors, we're a neighborhood together. Just like that, we're a priesthood, meaning we're priests together. We're interceding for one another and we're interceding for the world. We are a priesthood. Oh, it's so powerful what the Bible shows us. God wanted to take out a whole city. And he's about to just slam Sodom and Gomorrah because they're wiling out. But see, Abraham has a nephew there. And so before God takes out an entire city, In Genesis 18 and 23, it says, then Abraham drew near and said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous and the wicked? And you should read the rest of this because there's this negotiation that he has. What about 50 or what about 45 or what about 40 or what about 30, 25, 20, 20? And he keeps doing this with God, right? And he's doing this and listen, God's listening. Would you believe that what God wants to do with this city is not just from his sovereignty, but also your prayers? Would you believe that what God wants to do in your home, your neighborhood, your job, your city, is not just from his sovereignty, but your responsibility to pray? If you saw that as your vocation, not just the impetus you get in hard times, but the vocation you have in life, you could change this world. Let me just say that again. If Christians took seriously being a kingdom of priests, we could transform the world through our prayers. Because we would pray more about problems. Amen? The book of Daniel shows how you can be An effective intercessor. I wonder if you want to be that. If you want to be effective in your intercessory identity and your intercessory ministry. Now I'm looking at some of you and some of y'all are like, who, me? Yes, you. God saved you to use you. And your past is not indicative of your future. I don't care how much weed you smoked. I don't care how much you wild out. I don't care how much you lied. I don't care how much you stole. I don't care how legalistic. I don't care about anything about how broken you've been. God uses broken people for his glory. In fact, what I've found is he likes to use the most broken to get the most glory. He he likes to take the weak things of the world to shame the show. God gets something out of that because when you go me, you'll stay humble. The scripture here in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter nine, it reads this way, in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus by descent of Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. Now, Daniel chapter nine is considered one of the most difficult chapters in the Bible simply because of its historical implications as well as its theological implications, um, Daniel, we'll get to that in a second, but Daniel has been a 15-year-old boy taken from Jerusalem, placed in captivity. And as he is taken out of Jerusalem as a 15-year-old, now there have been several administrations that he's been under. And now he's in his second administration that he's leading under. He was 15 years old when he was taken into captivity. He's an 80-year-old man now. He's a statesman. He's been serving faithfully. And at this point, Daniel has been there about 67 years, roundabouts, about 67 years in captivity. But you know, if if you were one of these kids that you might have grown up somewhere for 15 years, your identity is kind of still in your home. It wasn't like you were taking it two or three, but you you still have strong memories of what it was like back at home. And Daniel, even in his old age, thinks to himself, "I wonder what it would be like if we could ever get home. Wonder it would be like if we could ever go back to Jerusalem." And he wants for his generation and the generations underneath him a different story. So it reads here in Daniel chapter 9, verse 2. I wonder if you'd read this with me. Daniel chapter 9, verse 2. We'll start where it says in on three. One, two, three. In the first year. Now, understand that we're about to see a moment where Daniel is going to intercede for his nation. But what it says here is that he reads in these books out of Jeremiah, and it says that there will be, must pass before the end of the desolations in Jerusalem, 70 years. Daniel says to himself, I've been here 67 years. I'm three years away from experiencing the promises of God in my generation. Daniel... Depending on how you understand this historically, whether you're thinking about the deportation or temple being destroyed and its restoration, again, you could study more of that. But the reality is, is that what he's looking at in Jeremiah is a book that we've, uh, rather a verse that we've put on uh, t-shirts and coffee mugs, but it's good for us to understand its context. Jeremiah 29, 10 through 13. For thus says the Lord, listen to the context now. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you, verse 13. And you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Now, that last part, something in Daniel was sparked. Because Daniel, one, believed that this was a literal 70 years. But two, he believed that God was serious. That we will find him. When we, as an entire congregation, come to him with our whole heart. So Daniel begins to intercede because why? I want to see the promises of God in my generation. I want to see my family and my friends experience the promises of God in my generation. I'm not satisfied with my neighborhood, my city, or my community. I want them to experience the promises of God. And my hope comes from the word. I believe God can do it. I believe his word is true. I believe his promises are real. So he prays like the word of God is real, like it's true. And that those promises are directives to be pleaded for, not just ideas to look at, not just history to read, but promises to hold on to. And they are like pillars holding up life. And so when you look back in Daniel 9-2, how does he understand this? Well, it says that Daniel, he says, I, Daniel, perceived in the books. What we have to understand is that Jeremiah and Daniel are contemporaries. Jeremiah is still there in Jerusalem. Daniel was taken into captivity. Daniel begins to read and study the books that Jeremiah has written about. And then he says here, I perceived. Now you got to understand that word perceived. It means I considered. It means I understood. It means I sat with it. It means I chewed on it. It means I didn't just glance. I didn't just look at it. It means I spent time studying it. He said, I perceived in the books. And he says, it's according to the Word. And what Daniel did is he read the Word and he understood what was happening in his life. We must therefore look at Daniel before we understand how Daniel prays, we must understand how Daniel studies, how Daniel reads. The word ought to inspire us to look at our social, political, economic, sexual, and personal situations. He's looking at the word to understand everything. He's studying and learning. And far too often we pray, but we don't know what God has said about himself. Well, I think God would, well, what, did God, what does God think about himself? If I were God, well, you're you're not, so. (laughs) And why, you know, why is it, why is it then that people have a hard time growing? It's because they have uninformed prayers. An unread Bible will create uninformed prayers and uninformed prayers are dangerous you start thinking God's going to do things he never said he'd do. Wouldn't it be sad to have a prayer list that God's like, I don't know who that's for. Is that for me? (laughs) Who's that for? I don't do that. I don't do none of that. And a lot of times, Much of our prayers, some people may know the word, but we just don't know the spirit behind the word, the essence of it. That God is sovereign, but he gives us responsibilities. That where there is obedience, there is blessing. God is calling us to do stuff, not just ask for stuff. The Bible says in John 15 and 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, watch out, blank check, you can ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. And people only get the last part. (laughs) Or they skip the first part and we want, oh, if I know a little bit of the word, I'll just ask God. But the first thing Jesus says in regards to understanding who he is with prayer. Remember, this is a verse about prayer because he says, ask. He says, if you abide in me, that word abide, like if someone were to welcome you into their house, they would say, welcome to my humble abode. Welcome to the place you can rest and have relationship. And he says, if you abide, if you find your home in me. It is conditional. It is based upon how you construct your life in the presence of God. And the reality is we want the presence of God, but only if we can have the provision from God. And so the fullness of God's power comes when we want to advance God's agenda, not just our own agenda. when you want the promises of God without the presence of God, you merely want the provision from God. In essence, you want God to be an absentee father. And you say, listen, I want you to pay that child support check. Take care of me and I'll come visit you on the weekends every now and then. You see, the reality is is that when you only want provision without presence, everybody knows you're just playing them. And God will not be mocked. Yes, he says, long to be in my presence and understand the promises of God. I wonder if you have constructed your life so that the presence of God is what you are hungering for, what you're urgent for. When someone is abiding in God's presence, humility is produced. You should ask yourself, have I, been, have I been, during this fast, am I abiding in God's presence? Am I the type of person where God's life is over my life and I'm always looking at him in the background? So much so, I just don't do what I want. I don't say what I want because I know that I'm serving an almighty, holy, awesome God. But then abiding in the promises of God. Because when you abide in the promises of God, that should produce spiritual insight, spiritual authority to know what God has said, to know what thus saith the Lord. And so when you abide in his presence and when you know his promises, you become a powerful agent wherever you are yeah. to say what thus saith the Lord, to hear from God and know what he says. And Satan knows if he can keep you out of his presence and out of his word, he will keep you out of his will. What's the hardest thing about my job? It's the hardest thing? Is it like people? Is it the Bible? The, the hardest thing in my job to do is pray. And the hardest thing for you to do spiritually is pray. Because I can tell you this, this week, you went out, you fat, you know, I'm a fast, I'm a fast, I'm a fast. The hardest thing, it's easier to fast from social media than to stay present with God. That's why. That's why when you when you talk to somebody, you be like, "Yo, what you fast from? I'm fast from this." What you, it's hard to say what you're praying for, right? Because then it gets a little convicting. It's like you don't even want to bring it up. It's like you you praying. I know you praying. Right? Prayer. The reason why it's hard to pray is because we are not naturally humble people. And so prayer. That's so. I just want to rewind. Fasting, prayer's the point, amen? The point is prayer. It's not subtracting something, it's adding something, amen? amen? But I'm not dissing you because I know it's the struggle. Because Satan will do anything. He will have a fly, fly around. You'll play with blinds, you'll walk around. You'll think of your, you'll think of your grocery list. You'll be like, oh man, I forgot. And you're, all of a sudden, this is like, I thought I was praying. Five minutes later, you're doing something completely different. Because one of Satan's greatest things to do is employ his weapons of mass distraction, amen, right when you're about to pray. Because he knows that's his greatest, your greatest weapon is prayer. It says of Daniel, in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10, he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. This was a lifestyle, Here's what I want you all to do this week. I know you're fasting. I know you're fasting. And I know you're thinking of things to take away. I wonder if you would take a challenge before you to pray and read the word three times a day for the rest of this fast. So that when you wake up, you can even use the app that we have uh, there with the Bible app where we have Open Heaven you can go on to that plan, and on it, it has a verse, and it has a whole chapter you can read. I mean, you can break it, break it up, but what I'm saying is when you wake up, spend time. At lunch, spend time, and at dinner, spend time. It will be the hardest thing you do in your spiritual life, but it will give you most breakthrough. I wonder, I wonder if anybody is willing to take that challenge and just stand up, if you're willing to take that challenge. See, accountability's a mug, ain't it, boy? It was like, you, you, you standing? Now look around, look around. Look around now, look, look around now, look around. Okay, all right. Sit, sit back down, sat down, sat down. Now I wasn't trying to embarrass nobody, I wasn't trying to embarrass, now next week, When you see them, don't ask what they fast from. I ain't, been, I, ain't, I ain't had peanuts in a week, boy. I miss, I miss peanuts so bad. So what we're going to do, what we're going to do, is we're going to walk up to one another, and we're going to say, how's that three times a day challenge going? What was it like? I got the two, and then I... Woo! So Daniel chapter nine, verse three through five, it says, then now Daniel, had, da- Daniel has not even prayed going back to the chapter nine, Daniel hadn't even prayed yet, but look what he does in this prayer. It says in Daniel chapter nine, verse three, then, so after, listen, he reads the word of God and says, then right after, then I turn my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And there Daniel begins to, look what it says, he pleads for mercy and he begins to fast. And the word prayer there, it is written in such an emphatic way, meaning he is crying out to God. And he's fasting, he's pushing back his plate. And the sackcloth and ashes, it was, this, it was clothes that were uncomfortable in how they were made, but they're also indicative of someone who is grieving. The ashes meant repentance. It was this picture of someone who was broken for their community. He's not satisfied with where his community's at. He says he turned his face to the Lord God. I love the imagery there. Do you know the Bible literally doesn't have a mandate, a prerequisite, or any kind of defined way that we're supposed to pray? But we kind of do it because that's how we grew up. Finish this for me. All eyes closed. All heads bowed. You better bow that head. I know. Whoa, you better bow that head. I know that. I know that. Better concentrate on the Lord. Right? Listen. Listen, Daniel, it says, what's it say? It says, I turn my face to the Lord God. He actually prays with his face up because I, I think God's in heaven, amen? And I think that's up there. So, and, and all throughout the Bible, it talks about seeking him and it says that Moses was a man that saw him face to face. Do you know something that we've, Comfortable with as a community, and it's still weird. My mama do not think it's cool, right? So, I'll, my mom will be talking to me. She'd be like, How's your day? I'll be like, It's good. She'd be like, Hey, look at me when I'm talking to you. And although I'm 43, I become a three year old in like 0.5 seconds. Isn't that what they taught you when you were little? Look at me when I'm talking to you. Keep it, and what, is, what does a face looking at someone mean? Undivided attention. Now, more than becoming legalistic about this, because there will be some, I can, I can feel it in this place. You know the Bible don't, okay, right? But more than being legalistic about this, All of this, whether it is turning his face, please, and mercy, and fasting, and sackcloth, and asses. He's giving God his undivided attention and all of his emotions. That's what it said in Jeremiah 29 and 13. You'll seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. He says, oh, you." that's what we need to do. We need to give God all of our hearts. So immediately, Jeremiah says, I'll be the first one, me. I'll be the first one in my generation that seeks you with their whole heart. Before I start talking about them, I will be the model and example in my generation. And what the Bible says is don't, don't let anyone look down on you because of your youth, but rather be a model and an example. No, this is what the Bible is saying, that, that the reason why he was fasting was because his heart and emotions were connected with his prayers. And when God says that the effectual, fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much, what it is saying is God wants you not to just pray, but he wants your full heart to be involved with it. There is a fervency that should be there. It's emotions that should be there. Emotions mean you mean something. Tone. You ask, I asked my wife to marry me. Um, Tasha, would you be cool with marrying me? She'd be like, are you serious? (laughs) I said the right words with the wrong tone. So what it is indicative of is get your heart into your prayers. Yell a little. Talk to him like you talk to a friend. It's all this, the fasting and the pleading and the mercy. He wants to see the promises of God in his generation. And he cries out to God. And then he begins to think about who his people are. As he bears the burden, that's what happens when you bear other people's burdens, you begin to feel the emotion. Have you ever just been walking with somebody and feeling for them and you have compassion for them? And you begin, your prayer should be able to bleed out that compassion or it should bleed out contrition. Because he's not just praying that someone gets a job. He's actually praying because the people are robbing God of his glory. You see, your friends, your family, your country, your city is not just not seeing the promises of God for any old reason. It is because we have turned our back from God. God has become a suggestion, an idea, as opposed to being the Lord our God. And it's very interesting what he does. He says in verse 5, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. Look what he says We have not listened to your servants and prophets who spoke in the name of your king, a uh, name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, to all the people to the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us, open shame, as to this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all of Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them. Notice in the text how specific he says we haven't to listened to your servants, your prophets. Under that, he says, and and one of the beautiful things about uh, Daniel in this prayer is he's saying that I'm a co-conspirator. We sinned. We have disregarded your word. We do life the way we want to. We ignore you with sins of omission and sins of commission. We do that. Part of the problem with our intercession is that we act like we have an elevated position over people when we're praying for them. Not realizing that we should join people, that when we see people who have the deepest sin, you say, I'm not doing what you do, but I'm doing something like it. But notice how specific he's praying. We have to pray specifically. You know why we pray specifically? Because God is a real person. And real people aren't cool when you give them general I'm sorrys. Oh, I'm my bad. For what? Right? God is a real person. So we must confess specific sins of ourselves and our generation. Oh, but I love what Daniel did. He says in verse seven, he, at the end, he says, in all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed. So you notice how corporate it was? We, 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 us, us. He was like, they. He's like, because there's some things I'm not doing, God. And I love how in this text, Daniel pray specifically and communally for his generation, making himself a co-conspirator, but he also acknowledges that there are specific sins of his brothers and sisters. And I know that we are a family as a church, but when your brother or sister is falling into sin, you must pray specifically for them in that sin. Intercede for them as they in their brokenness. Go before God. Because they are not just making God feel bad. They are breaking his heart. We forget that he's a person. As if he hurts. As if he could feel pain. As if he could weep over sin. Lastly here. In verse 19. He says, oh Lord. At the very end of his prayer. He says, oh Lord. Lord. Hear. Oh Lord. Forgive. Oh Lord. Pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake. Look at that. For your own sake. Because your city, your people are called by your name. And what causes Daniel to pray? And if you know and you study, this came into fulfillment. And I believe that Daniel prayed this every year. Not just because he wanted to go back to Jerusalem. Not just because he wanted to see his generation go back to Jerusalem. It's because he was passionate for God's glory. For his name. For his sake. And when you get on God's agenda... When you want to see God glorified and you know it's not about you, then you will keep praying even when you don't see it in your generation. Even if you don't see something in your lifetime, you'll keep praying because you know God will be pleased. You know God's character. You know his promises. And so even when God hasn't provided for you in the moment, you keep praying because you know you would be delighted in this. And you keep praying. And tonight, some of you have deep burdens and deep prayers that you've just stopped praying. There are things that you have just, because our hearts are fragile and we long to see the move of God and we've just stopped praying. My encouragement to you is pray not just to see it happen for you, see it happen for God's glory. There was a woman, she was married for 42 years. And her husband was killed in a car wreck while in Florida. He was a businessman. She lived in Oklahoma and a month after he died, she got a phone call. The man called and asked for her husband and she said, he's not here. Unfortunately, he passed away. And he said, really? He said, yes, he died on a business trip in Florida. He said, the man said, ma'am, when exactly, like what day did he pass away? Well, she told him the day. And the man, she said, I I spoke to him that morning, but I never spoke to him at night. We would speak every morning and every night. But I didn't talk to him that night. The man said, ma'am, I just need to tell you this. I'm a businessman. I dress up in a suit and tie every day. And I began to, on my work, God began to press on my heart to intercede daily for the people I was working with. And then God began to press on me daily to intercede for the people in my city. And so he said, the Lord spoke to me one day and the Lord told me in my business suit to go out to the highway and hitchhike. She said, I'm sorry. She said, I, he said, I know. He said, so I put my thumb out and I began to hitchhike in my suit and tie. And She said, you did what? He said, and your husband picked me up. And I got in the car with him. And ma'am, I led your husband to Christ. And I prayed with him. And he was going to call you that night. But he died in an accident. And I want you to know that the 42 years that you have been praying, God hurt all. 42. And I want you to know that what you have sown in tears, God has heard every one of your prayers. And when you intercede for God's glory, you will die and the fruit of your prayers will live on. And there are some requests you will never know that have been fulfilled. Father, in the name of Jesus, We ask that you tonight would remind us that we are a burden-bearing generation, that we hold on to the prayers that you stimulate in our hearts. Holy Spirit, even now, Lord, there are burdens in this room. Lord, I pray that as we pray three times a day like Daniel did, I pray, God, that we would begin to just long for your presence. I pray, God, that we would enjoy you even more than the gifts you give us. And we pray, God, that your glory, we would be enwrapped in your glory. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would move in this place tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I wonder if you'd stand with me. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread And he broke it. And in breaking it, he said, this is my body. He also took a cup. He said, this is my blood. The new covenant in my blood, take and drink. Tonight, we ask that as you come, that you would be able to take communion and do business with God. And you would ask yourself, Have I been abiding in your presence, God? Have I been understanding your word to know your promises? I want to be closer to you this year than I was last year. I want to go to a new place with you this year than I did last year, God. I want to live out that priesthood that you've called me to be for my identity is higher than any vocation that man could ever give me. I want to live that out this year. I want to be that kind of person. I want to walk into places and see prayers that I prayed years be revealed. I want to be that kind of person. I pray that you would do business with God tonight. And if you don't know Christ, we pray that tonight you would make that decision to know him, to seek him. If we could have the communion come. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com.